You're listening to the Halcyon podcast with Adam and Rob. And you have to say, that's magnificent. Hello and welcome to the Halcyon podcast, a podcast about football and about books, driven by our football book publishing company, Halcyon. Uh, first of all, Happy New Year. Well done for surviving 2022 and we hope that 2023 is less of a proverbial bag of balls than its predecessor. Uh, this week's episode of the podcast is a return to our series accompanying the World Cup anthology Against All Odds, a who's who of remarkable upsets in the world's greatest tournament penned by a who's who of remarkable football writers. Ad and I are delighted to be joined by Paul Doyle to talk about the Republic of Ireland's victory over Italy at USA 94 and his not-quite-first-hand experience stuck as he was back in Dublin. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, why not check out the other conversations in this series and or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out in future. And you can get your own copy of Against All Odds as well as all the other great books in the Halcyon Stable or, as we call it, Ad's Hallway, from our website halcyonpublishing.co.uk. But first, here's me and Ad with special guest Paul Doyle. So we are delighted to welcome Paul Doyle to this podcast, who wrote us a amazing chapter on Ireland's victory versus Italy in 1994. Um, so Paul, over to you. Please just set the scene because uh, there's quite an interesting backstory for you personally. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I was working in Dublin Airport at the time in the souvenir section of the duty free shop. So selling fluffy leprechauns and and, and that sort of stuff, uh, yeah. which does a roaring trade from American tourists in particular. Yeah. But um, uh, so I was very bitter during the World Cup because I because I, I was I was working and not able to go there, uh, and lots of people I knew were passing through the airport every day uh, on their way over to to the World Cup, including lots of people who I knew for a fact hadn't been interested in football just just a few months previously <laughs> but, but uh but we're but we're always up for the party and um and that was one of the things that that jack charlton's team did for ireland it it it, it rallied lots of people around football who had previously either no interest in sport or had been interested in in other sports and uh, and they jumped on that mighty bandwagon and um and obviously, the World Cup in USA was particularly attractive for them, and um, because that was sort of billed in Ireland as this great um, meeting of Irish people and people from the diaspora. Because, of course, on the east coast of America, there's lots of people with Irish heritage, yeah. and there's lots of people with Italian heritage as well, um, which made the first match of the World Cup, Ireland v Italy, um, such a, a momentous events in, in demographic terms as, as much as sporting terms and why there was huge competition to see which of these immigrant populations in America had the biggest influence, you know, who could get the most tickets. And it turned out on the day that uh, apparently Irish fans vastly outnumbered the Italian ones. And uh, the Italian manager, uh, as I mentioned, uh, complained about that afterwards saying a lot of Italians obviously sold their tickets to Irish people and, <laughs> and which he considered almost an act of treachery 
<laughs> Paul, do you but, think uh, were they were they were the Irish fans sort of travelling more just to go and be part of the party? Like, what were, what were their expectations, or what were your expectations as a fan, like going into a game against Italy? Was it just to go and have a good time? Do you think, or was there something in the in football well, the, terms they thought they'd get a result? Well, no, def- definitely some of them, as I said, were just there for the party, but a lot yeah. a lot of them. A lot of them were genuine football fans and, and had a knowledge of it. And probably of all the matches in the book, this is probably the most questionable in terms of was it really a, a shock? Was it an upset? Mm-hmm. Because, of mm-hmm. course, Ireland and Italy had met in the quarterfinals of the previous World Cup and were separated only by a goalkeeping blunder. Um, but I, I would argue, obviously, that it, that it still was an upset um, because... Uh, number one, we had never so much as drawn against Italy in our entire history um, in any match. Uh, and also the that the Irish team w- was on the wane. And um, that was most evident um, up front where we had lots of injuries. Nal Quinn, John Aldridge, Tony Cascarino, who, who, had, who had been the mainstays of our attack for, for so long. They were all... Um, I mean, Quinn was out of the whole tournament with injuries, yeah. but but Aldridge and Cascarino were were both dwindling, and neither were fit enough to start the match. So we started with Tommy Coyne, who became the first Motherwell player to play in a World Cup uh, at the age of I think he was thirty one or something, and um and he was up against the entire AC Milan. Uh, defense and, uh, and AC Milan had just Barcelona four 0 in the Champions League final. Uh, so, so it was hard to see how we were going to score. <laughs> uh, and um, but no, nobody was really complaining about that because I think that's one of the things um, that's different about being um, from club, uh, being a supporter of a club, and being a supporter of a of a, of a country. Uh, if you're a club and uh, and you've got a player who's a bit limited in, in one particular position, uh, you complain about it in the hope that your club will buy someone better for that position. But you can't, you can't do that for your national team. You know, if this guy's the best you have, then he's the best you have. So there's no there's no point yeah. in whinging about it. I think Packy Bonner and goals benefited from that a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, um, so, uh, so, you know, no one was complaining about Tommy Coyne being up front because he always did his utmost. Uh, and, um, and, he, and he ran his legs off that day, just as... Um, just as John Aldridge had always done, which was another one of Jack Tarleton's great triumphs, was getting John Aldridge, this one of Europe's great goal poachers, mm-hmm. um, he got him to play really effectively in a role where he was almost never in front of goal. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he, he was just scampering into the corner flags, chasing down fullbacks and stuff like that, which um, you would have thought he'd have complained about that, especially when he went his first 19 matches for Ireland without scoring. Um, um, but no, he, he clearly loved playing for Ireland and he, and he worked his socks off as well and, and did finally start scoring the goals. But uh, and then of course Italy in that match just to get back to that they also had Roberto Baggio who was who was who had just been voted World Player of the Year the year before so they yeah. they were considered to be very much in their prime even though their manager was a little bit criticised going into the game and was accused yeah. of not getting the best out of them and of course they went on to reach the final so they were obviously pretty decent. I was, I was going to say we've got the benefit of of thinking it thinking of it as an upset because Italy went on to reach the final but obviously going into it as as a first game of the tournament. 
as as evidenced by some of the games in the World Cup this time. You just you just don't know, I suppose. And so uh, I think you're right. In many ways, it wasn't. And um, you've mentioned him a couple of times, Paul. But just say a word or two about Jack Charlton because that sort of collective spirit was a massive thing for Ireland, even in the games that came after that in this tournament. Yeah, it, it was, and that that was his greatest feat as a manager. Yeah, he 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 came up with a tactical plan. Um, that was designed to to irritate opponents, um, and he very deliberately applied that. But he had the charisma and the man management skills to pull it off and get players who were capable of playing in a different way and and did so with success with their clubs. Uh, he got them to buy into this, uh, and everyone wanted to be part of it. Mm. Um, and, and people hated playing against Ireland, but loved playing for Ireland and and. And as all the ex-players have said, there was no one ever, you know, pulled out through injury. They'd, they'd be limping in to, to, to training because uh, they just enjoyed it so much, both because of the atmosphere he created, because he knew when to let them have a drink. And uh, I mean, I, I, I uh, lived in a part of Dublin, which was near a pub, which the players would go to at the start of their international breaks and right. it's and they very much enjoyed a drink you know? right. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 but then they also then when it was time to train and work hard they did that so he, he got the balance bang on and tactically he he did a lot of things that it wasn't as simple as just it wasn't just kick and rush yeah. uh, he, he he did he did pressing be, before it was uh the you know the, the older age and, mm. and things like, as I said, Aldridge chasing down the fullbacks and things like that. So the, 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 there was um, there was method to it to his method. And even against Italy on that day in the heat, um, they did uh, outwork them for long periods. Mm. Yeah. Did it have a transformative effect on the country? And if so, was it a long term thing? And do you still have people talking about it now, or was it more or less just a short term feel good factor? No, I think it did have a transformative effect. Um, um, where I'm from in, in, in Dublin, the, the transformation wasn't quite that evident because that had always been a sort of soccer heartland. Yeah. Uh, but in rural Ireland, where Gaelic games were always the number one, mm. you started seeing more um, football clubs, soccer clubs, um, setting up and soccer bec- becoming more uh, popular. And also, um, in, in political terms, one thing we didn't mention is uh, at that time the troubles as they're called in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. was was still um, very much alive and there was you know even on the night of the Ireland Italy match there was the famous massacre in our infamous massacre in in Lochin Island when some UVF guys burst in and, and shot people as they were watching the match but Charlton being English I mean, Nal, Qu- Nal Quinn has, has said the peace process wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Jack Charlton, which may be overstating it, but may- maybe not. He, yeah. he, he was probably the first Englishman, certainly in my lifetime, that was uh, embraced and liked by mo- the majority of Ireland. And he was liked also for the fact that he, because he wasn't patronising, he didn't go out of his way to be liked. He was very much himself yeah. Uh, yeah. with all yeah. his... In- in- he had his flaws, but he... But he was never passionate. He never tried to to, to endear himself, uh, and that uh, made him more likable. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And if you listen in Westminster, 
There you, you know? go. That's your it might never have happened if they had not qualified for, uh, for Euro 88, thanks to Gary McKay's goal for Scotland in the, in the last minute. Yeah. Because he was on the verge of being mm. sacked then. Yeah. Well, there you go. I, I think um, to read more of um, Paul's chapter, go to halcyonpublishing.co.uk and buy a copy of Against All Odds, where there is Paul's amazing chapter alongside 12 others. And the beauty of this is that we re- the writers really do go into detail. It's not just a game, of course, because that would be boring. There's a, a hell of a lot more besides, certainly in Paul's chats with the politics and Charlton and lots more. So, Paul, th- thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Bye. Cheers, Paul. Thanks, mate. Bye now.